Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 29 of the Corona Diaries. And if you listen to chapter 28, you'll know that this is the second part of the episode of the top 10 weirdest things that have ever happened to me by Steve H. (laughs) Right, deep breaths. Are you ready for this, H? Yeah, although I think I've got another new one, but I don't know where you would put it in the top 10. I don't know where it would sit. Oh, dear. But having, you know, having read the diary about Riga Bay um, and the... The hotel that was also a sanatorium for astronauts or cosmonauts, um, and lying in the oxygen in the in the iron lung with the Soviet nurse, that was unusual. That do you know what that probably had we have recalled that or rather had you recalled that a little earlier that might have made its way in. I'm looking at the list now because I've got the eleven in front of me because obviously we couldn't do ten we had to do eleven and I don't, still don't know where that would fit. No, um, no, might 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 not get on to the might not get on to you. <laughs> oh dear, knocked out in the semi-finals. <laughs> it, it probably went to penalties. Um, but right, so we did the first. We did the first half dozen of the ten, leaving us five left. You do the math. So last week um, we had a number eleven, uh, the Alice Cooper story, um, and that was just outside the top ten, but got an honourable mention. And right. then we had at number ten, falling off the bus in front of Gabby Rodman. <laughs> Uh, and she's not been on the phone to me since, and it's you know, and it's live now. So um, um, number nine. I wonder uh, if the, it makes her laugh as much as it makes me laugh when when remembered. Well, what we could do is, folks, if you're out there and you want to bombard Gabby Roslin with information and a link to this particular show or to just, last week's show, yeah, just feel just free ask to her do if it, it makes if it, ask her if it's, if it makes her laugh as much as it makes me laugh whenever she yes. remembers it, but she probably yes. doesn't remember it. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Um, so anyway, yes. If you want to, if you want to bombard Gabby, and we'll find out if she if she liked it or not. Um, number nine was the near miss at Reykjavik. Um, <laughs> that was weird. Uh, when you didn't want to tap the pilot on the shoulder until you did. No. Uh, probably quite a good idea. The other weird uh, part of that story was taking off all my underclothes in the toilet after I'd got on the plane. And then, and then emerging from the toilet with a big pile of clothes in my end, uh, while still looking the same, um, and the looks on the people's faces as if to say, "Where's he got all those clothes from?" But that was quite funny. Oh, Steve H, the shittiest shoplifter ever. Right. Um, so number eight was playing brave to Miles Copeland uh, on somebody's bed. Uh, you had temporary ownership of. Oh, while we're uh, on the subject of that as well, <laughs> Mike Hunter keeps going on about how how we should do um, thermals, Marillion merch, um, with Pete Travis's signature on the base layer for the bass player. Uh, oh, oh, that is good. <laughs> that's a merch item, isn't it? That anyway, is car- carry on. I was just on thermals then, so. No, no, no. We all we all drift there at different points of the day. Um, so number seven was Gimp Action, the reference being that scene in Pulp Fiction. That that only made it to seven, and that only made it to seven. Blowing out. And 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 number six uh, was that Cat Stevens. He's a terrorist. Oh yeah, no. Um, yeah, yeah, that that was weird. Um, so we that's about that's about as far as we got. Um, with with the top ten, so we've got five to go. Um, 
Now, two of which we've covered before, so we probably won't go on about them for you know for too long. But no. three, I believe, are all fairly new. Uh, one of which actually has been requested. Somebody's oh. aware of one of them and has been requested. Yeah. So number five, and and we're probably going to get a little bit serious, aren't we, for a minute? Um, number five was singing at Donald Campbell's funeral. Yes, that was extremely unusual um, in the sense that. You know, when I was a kid, I saw I saw that item on the news, and you know, I remember my mum crying and thinking, "Oh, this must be serious. I wonder what it is." Um, and she explained to me what had happened, and that I, th- I think anybody who saw saw that news item, um, it's probably stuck with them because there was so much about it that was unusual. First of all the the um the craft itself the actual shape of the bluebird this big blue sort of lobster like thing with the jet engine on the back and the massive massive screaming um trail of 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 water droplets and vapor behind it as it shot down the lake and then seeing it take flight and and flip flip on its back um was something that, you know, just never leaves you, I, I don't think. And I, I can still see it if I shut my eyes now, probably because I've, you know, probably because I've watched it a hundred times behind me uh, at shows as well, which has reinforced it. But I do remember it from, from being really, really young. I, I don't know how young I was, but I was, I was not much more than a, than, you know, I was, I was a young lad. And, um, so to to go from that memory to, to to I did actually write those words on the back of a bit a slip of paper. So it was only one step up from the back of a fag, fag packet. You know, three hundred miles an hour of water in your purpose-built machine. No one dared to call the boat. Screaming blue, out of this world. And then I think I just put you had it there for a second, Don. Um, and that was just a sort of slightly flippant sign off that that it had, and it's it sat in uh, and it sat in a in a book, you know, in a notebook for years and years and years and years. And then you know, one day it, it, I used it on a jam with with the boys, and it became out of this world. And I, um, you know, I did whatever I did with it, and out of this world, you know, only love will let you, uh, will turn you around, and, and and all of that about, um, you know, I was referencing that tug between between uh, men who who have ambitions and try and do unusual or great things, and 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 the women that try to live with them, um, you know, which of course is partly. Um, you know, a shade to my own life in it, um, and and out it went. You know, and it was on a afraid of sunlight, as you know, and and you know, it's a. I think it's a good song. We were all pleased with it, but I wasn't prepared for the fact that it would initiate um, the search for the bluebird at the bottom of Lake Coniston, or, uh, that that would turn out to be successful. And then it would initiate the the bringing to the surface of the craft, and then six months later, the bringing to the surface of of of, of Donald's remains. And I never imagined in a million years Donald's daughter would would phone me up one day and ask me if I'd sing at his funeral. So that was pretty strange, you know, and and, and a great privilege. And of course, I said yes. Um. And then it it got weirder after that because me and Stuart Every, who was our studio engineer at the time, went up to Coniston Church to um, to prepare for the funeral. We went up a day early. Um, we took a backing track with us and a little DAT player and a little bit of PA, not much, you know, because you don't want to put a lot in a church. We couldn't put the band in the church. It would have sounded like, you know, a car crash. And I don't think the great and the good who were all turning up to see see Donald Campbell off would, would really want a progressive rock band in front of them either. <laughs> um, 
Well, particularly probably... if Mark's keyboards went for a bit and halfway through. <laughs> well, most of them would have probably, you know, they'd have been all right with a bit of Algar. But um, anything anything more modern than that might, might have been distasteful. Um, so, yeah, so, so there we were on what turned out to be the 11th of September, sound checking the equipment before before the funeral the day after, on the 12th of September. And, of course, we went over to the pub for a sausage and mash and there were the Twin Towers coming down and it was 9-11 and, and we both just sat there, you know, is this World War Three? What, what's going to happen? Um, and we were staying in the, the Windermere Powerboat Club that night and I remember just lying in bed trying to dispel these images of, of 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 jet aircraft flying into the sides of skyscrapers from my head and wondering what was going to happen next and and wondering what on earth I was doing you know in in lying in the dark unable to sleep in Windermere powerboat club when I really should be at home with my family on a t- at a time like this mm-hmm. you know what if they push all the buttons tomorrow what if what if something really kicks off? What the hell am I doing here? Um, and I'm sure my wife back down in uh, in Charlton and my kids were probably thinking the same thing. You know, why is our dad not here at a time like this? Mm. Um, but I did have a good excuse. I, I, I'd, I'd agreed to sing at Donald Campbell's funeral and that's a pretty big deal. Um and I couldn't really pull out of that at that stage. So um, I remember uh, Gina, I think she split up with him now, but she had a husband. Um, What's his name? It'll come to me again after the podcast, like everything does. Um, and uh, and, and he, he had a ukulele. And they were in the bar. We were all in the bar that night. And he was playing the ukulele and singing You Are My Sunshine or something mental. I remember sitting there with a the drink thinking, well, this is beyond bizarre. You know, it's not... <laughs> Somebody's just attacked America. <laughs> Hundreds of people have fallen to their death or been fried. And this guy's playing a ukulele. Look, my toast's arrived. Uh, this guy's playing a ukulele. What on earth's going on? What, what, what am I doing here? This is so mad. Anyway, the following day, the funeral went ahead and I sang out of this world at the altar of the of Coniston Church with Donald Campbell in a, in a coffin, you know, sealed coffin, but, but right next to me, you know, I could reach out and, pop my hand on top of the coffin if I chose, um, while singing that song. So the journey from having seen it on the news when I was a kid and my mum crying and and all the way to that moment, that weird moment after 9-11, was complete. Um, You know, and there were people in that church in uniforms, you know, Commodores and the great and the good. I think Prince Charles sent a representative, but you know he didn't actually go himself. But his, um, his, uh, whatever he is, his faithful assistant Eugene was there, and Gina was there, and Tonia, uh, Donald's widow, was there, and a lot of the guys who were actually at the side of the lake. The day that he lost his life, the people on his team, the, the people who designed the Bluebird, they were there, all, all old fellas, obviously. And then we went to this place afterwards for for a wake that was sort of like some kind of bizarre wedding reception uh, and sort of sat sat there for as long as I felt was respectful before I bailed and drove back to Yorkshire because... It, that was pulling at me the whole time, you know, got to get home, got to get home. So I hung around um, for a little while and ate me, um, ate me sandwiches or whatever they were. I can't remember what they served. But Marshall was his name. He was called Marshall, Gina's husband, with the ukulele. 
in the bar at the Windermere Powerboat Club singing you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. Whilst, whilst I sat there with my eyes rolling around thinking this is too weird. Am I in a Laurel and Hardy movie all of a sudden? Um, <laughs> that was weird. That was weird. That's why it's got in at number five. <laughs> um, right then. Do you want to eat your toast? It was a great privilege. I don't, I don't, in saying it's weird, I don't want to make it sound in any way flippant. And it was, it was one of the outstanding moments of my life, really, in amongst a few others. But it was a really outstanding moment. I'm going to just try and eat a bit of this bread, bread and marmalade. Now you eat it because what we'll do is we'll we'll I'll I'll come into number four in a way that you can cut this little bit out because oh, okay. otherwise you're going to end up, you're going to end up with cold toast, aren't you? It's not toast; it's just bread and marmalade. We can leave all this in. What can, are you eating bread and marmalade? I can explain that I had an implant on a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> on, on which one, the left or the right? <laughs> You know, we haven't done as a pair. They're working, aren't they? They're working well. <laughs> they, they are indeed, yes. <laughs> I'll say one thing for that, Steve H. He does go in and out in all the right places, <laughs> I'll say. I was um, just a little bit more surprised by the fact I was expecting Lynetta to provide the, the bread, not, not some geezer called Ralph, but that's clearly a new look. <laughs> so, I'm on drugs and... Uh, I'm supposed to eat with them and I forgot. So I thought I'd better just have a bit to eat yep. in case I fall sideways off this chair halfway through the podcast. <laughs> that's it. And that's entirely possible. <laughs> huh. Well, I'll kick in because mm. number four mm-hmm. um, is actually um, the legendary story of Pascal Chauvet. <laughs> um, now, we've done the Pascal Chauvet story. We did it on an, um, on an odds and... Sodcast. Did we? And, we didn't do it properly. Um, we didn't do it properly, no. Oh, right. um, though we've alluded to it in a diary reading. Um, and I think, uh, and, and I was going to, you know, we're, we're discussing this live on air. We haven't talked about this before. But um, that is such an epic piece of uh, recording um, <laughs> that I think perhaps we maybe ought to put it out as a bonus for everybody. Um, I don't think we can get and do it as as well as we did it the first time round. Right. So, okay. And we've and we've got the thirtieth anniversary coming up. Thirtieth anniversary. Thirtieth episode coming mm. up. So maybe the week of the thirtieth, you might get an extra little bonus episode, which will be um, we'll we'll maybe put that odds and sodcast out. So everybody who isn't a patron gets some idea of, of what we do on that uh, as a little bit of a bonus. What do you think think about that? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, a lovely idea, and it okay, saves we, me having to try and remember that entire day, which which was hysterical, but but yes, but strange. Yes. And it went down very well with uh, the purple folk, the patrons, and just for the patrons, we won't make a habit of doing this. We won't, you know, we won't undermine that thing that's going on. But I think just as a little one-off thirtieth special uh, example, then I think that's quite a nice thing to do. The world deserves Pascal Chauvet. Indeed, indeed. Uh, uh, who I believe has probably got his own merch now. Uh, here, <laughs> such, such as I wonder, I wonder if he's been found on social media and been absolutely <laughs> astonished at how his life's changed. <laughs> he was wearing a lot of badges. I remember that. I remember thinking when when I eventually met him, having you know been expecting him for most of the day, and then he never showed up. When he eventually showed up to take us to dinner. He did have a lot of badges on, and I remember thinking, oh, that probably explains a lot. Right. You mean yeah. like they do around the lanyards if they work in Asda? No, I mean, I mean little, you know, little round lapel badges. Right, okay. Saying various things Right. on them. I remember thinking, uh, aye, aye. Uh, <laughs> there we have it. Um, so that puts us at number three, and... Yeah, I'm looking forward to this because I've not heard this. You said to me, have I mentioned uh, my psychic breakfast? Oh, yeah. God. At which point I kind of went, well, no. Uh, And then you gave me that 
wry smile with that slight glint that suggests that it's absolutely up there, which is why it's at number three. Mm. I've probably forgotten the pink letter that turned up in Cardiff as well, haven't I? With the goose stepping knits. Have I ever mentioned that to you? <laughs> <laughs> that might have to be crowbarred in as item 12 um, <laughs> well anyway putting the putting the goose stepping nits to one side um, <laughs> we, we'd made the Brave album and I think that sort of that album, because it, of the nature of it and the darkness of it and the, the slightly metaphysical aspect of it, which I think it kind of naturally had, but Dave Megan also brought, he brought more ghosts to the table of his own, I think. Um, and then Marowat, where we recorded it, brought more ghosts to the table. And in the end, I think as an album, it's probably got more ghosts in it than and nine out of ten albums, or 99 out of 100 for that matter. And um, as a consequence of, of what, a, what a dark metaphysical piece of work it is, it sort of resonated and, and brought dark met- metaphysical people out of the woodwork to some extent. And at that time we were being managed by Hit and Run, and John Arneson phoned me up one day and he said, we keep getting all these faxes. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, they're all addressed to you and they're from Germany. And there's um, someone in Germany, I, 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 won't, I won't say her name because, you know, it might embarrass her and it's a small world with the internet and everything. But there was a girl in German Germany and... Um, she'd started faxing and saying that she was in spiritual contact with me and that she had been since she was a little girl and she'd only just realised who it was she'd been dreaming about all these years and having having seen my face in a magazine and realised that that's the person she's been dreaming about since she was young, it's made her ill and she's now in hospital and um, the facts, I don't think the facts was from her, I think it was from her friend saying it was absolutely vital that I got in contact and spoke to her because uh, they think it might help, you know, to make her better. And my reaction to that was, well, bugger that for a lark, you know. Um, <laughs> so I never did. Um but the faxes kept coming in and I get the more faxes that came in, the more I, I, I was determined to leave this person at more than arm's length, um, you know, and just ignore it. Um, anyway, time passed and we went to Cologne one day to do some promotion. Or maybe it was a show. No, it was a show. God, yeah, it was that show. That was a weird thing. Uh, we went we went to do a show at the E-Work in Cologne. And we're coming through. It must have been the first show of the tour because we were flying there. And we, we, we were, um, and it must have been the Brave Tour as well. Is this all, is this all right? No, I think it might have been before the Brave Tour. Anyway, we went to Cologne to do this gig at the E-Work. And we came through the airport, and as we we came through into arrivals, I was with Paul Lewis, who was our tour manager at the time, and I walked through with him, and this guy just appeared, grabbed me by the the um, the upper right arm, and said, uh, "I'm here on behalf of blah blah blah. Um, it's it's vitally important that I take you to a public telephone box and that you call her." And on the other arm, I've got the tour manager who's now grabbed my left arm going, just keep walking, just keep walking. <laughs> so I'm go- I'm coming through arrivals of Cologne Airport with a bloke stuck to either arm, one trying to drag me to a phone box and the other one trying to get me in a cab, which was strange 
Um, so uh, he said, I think he told me that she was going to be at the show that night. So, I, oh, okay, right, something to look forward to. And um, I went on stage that night. And I'm, honestly, I'm not, I'm not vamping this up for drama. Odd things happened during that show. Um, and at one point, I'd played Easter, and I'd done Easter, and we were still doing, Mark and I were still doing that thing where my keyboards were sort of back-to-back with his on a mm. riser. And I got, got up on that riser, sang Easter, and played a few bits of keyboards. And as I... As I stepped down off the riser to go back to centre mic, the only thing I can describe, I mean, it, it was like something grabbed the ends of my shoes as I came to walk off the riser. It stopped me dead and I just felt I did the comedy fall straight onto my face off the riser. Like, I, like somebody put something there, but there wasn't anything there. So that was a bit strange. Anyway, I got back up, carried on singing this song. And then at another point in the same show, I was thrown fairly violently to the ground again. Um, so I, I, kept, I kept sort of being thrown down. And I kept looking around to try and see what was causing it, and I couldn't. There wasn't some form of spiritual rake that you kept standing on. You know that moment in the comedy things where you stand on a rake and it comes up and smacks you in the face? <laughs> the rake's progress. Well, indeed. Exactly. Or, or lack of it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that came out. I just think, is this all in my head? Is it just because I'm a bit keyed up? But it's a, it's a bit strange. Then um, we were playing This Town and A Hundred Nights. And, you know, this town's fairly rock and roll and energetic and then it all breaks down. Um, and I think I walk off uh, I walk, walk off stage, I walk back on uh, to seeing 100 Nights of Fun and Games, Thousand Empty Glasses and all of that. So I was at, the, I was at centre stage and as I start singing 100 Nights, just out of my peripheral vision in this nightclub, I think it was like October or November or something, I see something flitting about in the air and it keeps catching my eye and I, 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 I keep glancing at it while I'm singing and then I realise it's a butterfly and it's in a, it's in a club, it's in a nightclub and I'm singing, I don't know, Andrew, no, it's fun and game, little and all that and they say that some are born to burn, some are born to give, say some people live and live, some people only live and live and round about there this butterfly just came down the light and it landed on my shoulder. And I'm looking at this and I, think, and I heard the audience kind of gasp, like, how's he done that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that was strange. And um, at the end of that show, uh, there was another letter passed backstage, which was from her. And wasn't terribly nice because she was miffed that she'd gone to so much trouble to contact me and I'd ignored her. So I ignored that, of course, as well. <laughs> and um, anyway, come, come the Brave Tour proper, we were playing in Berlin. Um, and I never forget, I, was, I walked into the, I walked into this, the, the sound check was in this big hall and I walked in with Ian um, and it had the big sort of springy doors on the, on the back, you know. Um, and we went through these, these, um, these two, two doors, Ian and I, about, I don't know, 3.30, quarter to four in the afternoon, which is when we usually arrived for sound checks. Um, and we were at the back of the hall and so we were crossing the hall to make our way to stage or to backstage. And as we came through the doors that slammed shut behind us on the springs, I heard the door open again behind us. And I said to Ian, this is her, without looking. 
And he went, who? I said, the girl that's sending the faxes. And I heard the footsteps come up behind us and she touched me on the shoulder and sure enough it was her. And um, she said, I, I really, really need to talk to you. And I said, well, look, I'm, I'm a bit busy. You know, we're about to sound check. I've got a show to do tonight. I haven't really got time. And she said, I need to talk to you. So I said, okay, give me, give me five minutes. So I went outside the hall and um, we made an appointment. I gave her my hotel and I said, if you can be at this hotel tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., we'll have breakfast and you can tell me whatever is on your mind because I've, I, you know, I've got to leave at 9, 9.30 or something. I can't, I can't really talk to you today. I mean, Brave's a pretty intense piece of work and you, you don't want to be going on stage with anything too weird kicking about in your head. It's weird enough as it is performing Brave. So I didn't want any of that um, before the show. Um, so she said, sure. Um, and um, that was that. So we did the gig. I went back to the hotel, went to bed, got up the following morning, went down to breakfast, and sure enough, she's sitting in, in reception. So I, I took her through into the breakfast room. We, we got some coffees. She sat down opposite me. And I said, well, fire away. And she said, well, first things first, I'm not particularly a fan of your band. Um, I work in TV in, um, here in Germany. And, I'm, you know, I'm quite well known in certain parts of Germany. Um, when I was a little girl, my grandmother died. And the day after she died, she walked back into the room, sat down next to me. And I realised that, that, you know, I see dead people. Um, she said, sometime after that, I started dreaming about you. And I dreamt about you all my young life and all through my teenage years. And then about two years ago, I opened a magazine and you were there. And it had such a profound effect on me that it made me ill. I, I ended up having to go to hospital and she said, I'm in, I'm in spiritual contact with you and sh you must, surely you can feel it. And I'm going, well, no, not really, if I'm honest. Um, she said, I know where you are in the world. When you move from one country to another, I know. Um, she said, when, you're allergic to cats, aren't you? I went, yeah, I am. She said, well, when you have trouble breathing, I feel it. I went, right. Um, and, um, she said, um, you have immense spiritual power. Surely you're aware of that. And I went, well, no, not really. And she said, well, you do. And, and I can show you how to use it. Um, and I said, well, how are you going to do that? And she said, well, you've got to come to Berlin. You've got to come to Berlin and, you know, we've got to spend some more time together. I said, I can't do that. I'm, I'm married. I can't say to my wife, I'm off to Berlin to spend some time with somebody who's in spiritual contact with me, darling, back in a month. Um, <laughs> so she told me all of that stuff and I said, well, I don't really know what to do with it, but I'll I'll think on it and I hope it's given you some sort of relief to at least explain it all to me. And that was that, really. Um, she um, toddled off and I finished breakfast, got on a bus, went somewhere else and did another gig. But that was strange. Yeah. Do you know what? That was strange. Hmm. You can you can absolutely have that one for the top five. Okay, that that doesn't happen very often. It, no, it, it also links to the fact that you know those that four hundred and twenty seven spirits that follow you around all the time and constantly getting in your car with you. It's not four hundred and thirty seven. It's nowhere near that amount. But it, it, it's it, it, it's it's more than twenty. Yeah, I can't remember what 
what he said. I think it was something yeah. mad like, like 34. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that was years, years and years after that. Was in fact it was quite recently. It was on the last uh, the last time we went to Utrecht. I met up with with the magic doctor and his wife, and we had lunch. and And he told me that he said, "Oh, you've got all these spirits looking after you." And I said, "What do you mean? How many?" And he you know shut his eyes and went quiet for about a minute and a half, while me and his wife just sort of looked at each other and looked at him and looked back at each other and say, "Where's he gone?" And then. Um, you know, he opened his eyes, came back and said, 34. <laughs> he said, you know, they're all looking after you. I said, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> I'm now concerned about who passed you the bread and marmalade. <laughs> Which think, one of them? I think that was Lynetta. Right. Possibly, <laughs> possibly not. <laughs> So that's number three, and a worthy entry at number three. Oh. Um, number two um, was your side stage telephone call from the International Space Station, which we've covered, and we covered fairly recently, because it was in the mm. diary fairly recently. So I don't think we need to expand on that, but that is, in of itself, that is truly weird. Well, the only, the only expansion upon that story is that he did phone me at home first. Um. Oh. And I was FaceTiming home to Lynetta because I was in America. And the phone rang while, while we were actually FaceTiming. And uh, the phone rang and she went, do you want me to answer that? I said, well, no. She said, let me see. Let me. She says, it seems to be it's an American number. I said, what do you mean? Who's phoning from America? And um, we actually looked the code up and it was Houston, Texas. And the only person i'd ever really known in houston was sandy stewart who used to write lyrics for stevie nicks which i think was in the diary yeah, the last yeah. bit and she was from houston and i'm thinking well it can't be sandy i haven't spoken to her for 10 years oh well ignore it um and we ignored him and Next time I spoke to Lynetta, she checked the voicemail and I was this voice going, Hey, this is Andrew Kuyper's calling from the International Space Station. <laughs> like, shit, we should have answered that. Um, so he left a message on the voicemail, which I tried to save and then and then deleted it by mistake while I was trying to save it. Um, I thought, oh, what a shame, I missed him. Um, and then... You know, weirdly, uh, my mobile went off just before we went on stage in Chicago, and there he was. Yeah. Well, we covered that. We've we've covered that. So we'll with that again. Worth worthy entrant for number two, which levers which we're, we're on number one, um, <laughs> and uh, and this is a worthy worthy winner. Uh, but before we do that, in the best traditions of um, of, of of Radio One, I'm gonna I'm gonna count us down. Oh. So at number eleven. Uh, we have um, you being uh, mistaken for Alice Cooper. And number 10, falling off the bus in front of Gabby Roslin. Number 9, new entry. Number 9, the near miss at Reykjavik. Number 8, playing brave to Miles Copeland on somebody's bed. Number 7, gimp action. Number 6, Cat Stevens on a plane. And then he's on another one. Number 5, Donald Campbell's funeral. With added uke. Number four, Pascal Chauvet. Number three, your psychic breakfast. And number two, the telephone call from the International Space Station, which leaves us with at number one. That was very good, actually. Which leaves us at number one. A crowd of people around your bed in Canada. Yes, that was weird. Um, I, have I not told this story in, in the podcast? I, I, I you, you see, I, I thought you had, but a lot of people have come and said you haven't, and we've referenced it a few times, which is why I think we're going to have to do it in case we haven't. You've I definitely think, told me. I think we did two weird places on that. Um, well, I don't say weird, just places we wouldn't normally play and haven't played since on that tour. One was called London, Ontario. And there was a place called Kitchener as well, um, 
was that in Ontario? I don't know. I'm, I dare say the Canadians will will be will be quick to advise me. Um, but it was either London or Kitchener or somewhere like that. And we'd been doing a bit of promo in the afternoon somewhere and we, we'd got delayed and then the traffic was dreadful. And we arrived at this gig and it was a tiny little gig. It wasn't much more than a, you know, a, a little bar. Uh, or it felt tiny. Maybe it wasn't that tiny. But, you know, we sort of got used to playing big gigs and then suddenly this wasn't huge. It was probably, <clears throat> probably just a club. We arrived late. And we should have really been on stage, and it was uh, it was it was like go through the door and get straight on as soon as you can, a sort of situation. And I would always normally get changed to go on stage, but because we were late, I, I left my jean the my, the black jeans I happened to be wearing I left on, um, and just threw a shirt on, and on we went. And because I'd 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 got my during the day jeans on. I'd got my hotel room key in them um, and I'd probably got, a, you know, a bit of money in, the, in them and all of that. But um, we'd, we checked into this hotel and it was, uh, I think it was a Ramada, Renaissance sort of a thing. And it had brass keys. It, it, it wasn't the new kind of credit card electronic door key kind of thing it was a it was a traditional old brass key you know with a proper keyhole and all of that to make matters worse it had the room number stamped on it and the name of the hotel um which of course didn't matter uh until at a certain point in the show i was hanging by i was hanging hanging upside down by my legs from a lighting pole because I, I used to do shit like that back then. Um, as the mood took me, I would climb things and hook my legs over things or whatever, and, and I was hanging upside down above the the first, you know, one or two rows because it was a standing gig. And I saw this key fall out of my jeans into the outstretched hands of the people below. And, and I remember thinking, oh, bollocks. Um, you know, and then I sort of forgot all about it. And then we, we got back to the hotel after the show. I realised I hadn't got a room key anymore. Then I remembered what had happened to it. And I thought, I'm going to have to go and get another room key. So I went to reception, got another key, let myself in, went to, you know, got ready for bed, went to bed, passed out, went to sleep. So I'm in a deep sleep at about three in the, in the morning. And I drift out of sleep into this searing white light and all the lights are on in the room and there's about six blokes at the bottom of my bed just standing there like zombies watching me sleeping, which frightens me to death. Um, and so I start effing and blinding at them and, you know, every swear word I could, I could come up with. Um, and tell him to f off, while they all just sort of stood there like cattle, um, sort of gazing at me. And eventually, they all kind of, and I sleep naked, so I wasn't going to get out of bed and start flailing around. <laughs> it was it was in the days before um, <laughs> people had cameras in their phones, but nonetheless. I wasn't. I wasn't about to get out of bed, um, so I just held a lot of uh, verbal abuse, and they sort of wandered off, like again, like cattle. I think. I think what had happened was somebody got hold of the key, and then you know, after the shows, probably gone to a bar or something with his mates and gone, "Oh, I've got his hotel room key." And they're, oh, look at that! You've got his hotel room key. Drink, 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 drink. You know, Ooh, should we go? No, no, drink, 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 drink. Why don't we go? Well, let's split up. Okay. You know, so I, I, I think by the time by the time they coincided with me, they were probably, you know, sloshed and stoned and whatever else because they were all just shuffling about like zombies. Um, and I'm, I managed to kick them out of my room and after they'd shuffled off, I shut the door again. And I went back to sleep 
And then about an hour after that, all the lights were on again. Um, but there was nobody there. So I think they'd still plucked up enough courage to let themselves back in, switch all my lights on, just have one last look and then shuffle off again. Um, so that was that was weird and, yeah. and memorable. Yeah. For all the wrong reasons. For all the wrong reasons. And, I, you know, and as, I, as I said before, I... I after the uninvited guest video shoot, I'd got back to my hotel room to find somebody already in my bed. So this was like the opposite of that, really. <laughs> and there we have it. There we have it. What a nice place to stop and transition into this week's diary uh, as we conclude the top ten weirdest things what have happened to Steve H. Um, yes. Well, we're, going, and- we're off to Riga. We're off to the Riga Bay Hotel. Now, that was weird. Exactly. So just to keep the vibe spinning, and we haven't planned this, actually, this is serendipitous, there's a fairly weird section of diary coming as well, um, <laughs> of which we will allude to no more because it's a, it's a beautifully written little uh, excerpt. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand over to you and let you uh, crack on. Right. Off to Riga. The Berlin Wall had just come down. I think we arrived in in Latvia either the day after or the day before they'd actually printed their own currency. So everything was brand new. Friday, 24th of July. Milan, Copenhagen... To Riga, Latvia. Left the friendly Bonaparte Hotel at 8.30. Waved goodbye to Germano to fly to Copenhagen, where we were to join the rest of the band in transit to Riga. Milan Airport was overcrowded and chaotic by comparison to the easy airiness and massive array of shops at Copenhagen Airport. The band had arrived on an earlier flight from London and, I surmised, gone into Copenhagen to kill a few hours. So Steve and I sat down in the restaurant upstairs for what was to be a wonderful, if expensive, lunch. I had lobster, which was excellent, and a high place from which to fall into Latvia's culinary delights. Eventually spotted the rest of the band, minus Ian, who had stayed home on doctor's orders not to fly with an ear infection. His good pal, Mark Sugden, had come in his place, so I braced myself for big fun with him in Riga. He's a character. He was in great spirits, if not a little nervous, at the thought of the TV show ahead. Among the entourage of people on the plane also heading to Riga for the big TV show are a handful, pardon the pun, of Daily Star page three models, all talking loudly in Essex accents and chaperoned by a big genie-of-the-lamp security man called Andy. It's another world from rock and roll, and yet somehow loosely bound to it in the show business sense. There's never been that much separating rock and roll from the theatre, the circus, actors, strippers, and outright prostitution, really. We all have our stories to tell, and none of us can claim moral high ground over the other. We're off to Latvia at a strange time. It was only in 1990 that Latvia declared independence from the recently collapsed USSR. Everything there is in a state of flux. The public servants haven't been paid for many months and yet continue to turn up for work in the hope that a new system will emerge and some kind of economy will start up and begin to compensate them. I wouldn't hold my breath. When we landed in Riga... We were met at the airport, given flowers and taken to the Hotel Riga Bay. But this wasn't just a hotel. It was some kind of recuperation sanatorium too. Apparently the Soviet Union sends its cosmonauts here to recuperate after space flights. If you walk down the corridor from my hotel room and keep going, another corridor stretches off to the left and the line of the hotel room doors becomes a line of laboratories. 
I was to discover a lab containing an iron lung, along with white lab-coated nurses who, not having been told to stop work, still arrive each day awaiting further instructions. I slipped one of the nurses a few US dollars, very popular currently in the absence of any local currency. I think Latvia only began printing its own money yesterday. And she opened the lid and helped me climb in. Steve R took a photograph, which I think he still has somewhere. After checking in, I showered up, had a snooze and set off for the 10 o'clock party at the festival site. Chatted with distinguished veteran correspondent his words, Peter Jennings, over dinner and later on at the site. Agreed to play a couple of songs live at the pre-show party, but later abandoned the idea. Utter chaos ensued when we tried to board the bus to go back to the hotel. This bus had been arranged for the band, but by the time we arrived it was packed solid with locals who refused to get off. After 15 minutes of negotiations, security genie Andy persuaded the locals to make space for me to board. When the bus finally groaned into motion, I was mystified to witness the locals jump up as one and start frantically disembarking. Strange bunch. Show day was similarly confusing. The sound check was set for 12.15, so we were bundled into a bus to the site at 12. By three o'clock, nothing much had happened. But it was a sunny day, so we sat around enjoying the sunshine until four o'clock. This was a live TV show, but the cameramen didn't turn up for rehearsal. The general suspicion was that a rehearsal would only serve to confuse them, so it was for the best. We were later taken to a market where a woman was selling courgettes. All the other stalls were empty, so it was courgettes or nothing. A Polish TV crew had taken us there to drink the local beer, and to do an interview. The locals who were sitting around seemed to comprise entirely of crusty old alcoholics who muttered at us in Latvian. It was hard to discern whether or not we were being insulted. I wouldn't have blamed them. I don't remember anything about the TV show, but I do remember a commotion in the middle of the night when I opened my hotel room door to see Jack and Priv edge their way down the corridor sword-fighting with metal stair rods they'd removed from one of the staircases. Have at you, knave! Bounder! Cad! They were drunkenly enthusing. I went back to bed, wondering whether they'd end up in hospital and what exactly a Latvian hospital would be like and I made a mental note to go easy down the stairs in the morning. The stair carpet probably won't be fastened on. P.S. I also remember Mark Sugden and I sitting in the restaurant of the Hotel Riga Bay, having an early beetrooty dinner, while at a table near us, two of the page three girls were doing the same with their minder, genie of the lamp, Andy. I'm not, one of the girls was exclaiming, smiling. You are, said the genie. I'm not, she said. You are. I'm not. You definitely are. I'm definitely not. (sighs) Said the genie, shaking his head in exasperated disbelief. She shouted over to Mark and I. Look, I'm not, am I? Hitching up her skirt to reveal a hairy darkness. I'm not wearing any knickers. Mark spat his coffee across the table, laughing. It's not always like this, I said. Thursday, 20th of August, home, Stambridge Farm, near Brighton. Up at 7.45 with Crompton and Hargreaves, Dizzy had been up several times in the night with Niall, who has become quite unsettled since his ear infection. We're hoping it's just teething. It was around two in the afternoon before we managed to get out to Banbury. Bought silicone sealer for the bathroom sink and had a wander around the market. Bought shirt buttons at a market stall and mooched round Laura Ashley, looking for curtains. Came home and after sealing said sink, drove down to Stanbridge's around six, arriving at 7.30 to a warm welcome and drinks from Bob and Caroline. Their son, Jack who was newborn when we left, is now two years old. Enjoyed a very pleasant roast dinner and had just a bit too much to drink 
while listening to Caroline putting the world to rights. Stepped outside for a nostalgic gaze at the lights coming through the hawthorn trees in the mist. Apparently, hawthorn wards off evil spirits. It was while gazing at this light back in 1990, slightly off my head on mushrooms, that I noticed the light dripping from the branches and wrote, she could smell the soil in the trees and see the succulent light from the little fires in his eyes pulling shapes out of the night for the song The Party. Once again it was the smells that brought back the memories clearest of all, the dusty oak wood of the old house and the bed linen. Great days. Slept soundly in my old bedroom above the dining room, remembering the little bits of silver foil in the top corners. Remnants of Duran Duran's guitarist Warren Cucurillo's interior decorating. He'd had the room before me back in 1990. He travels with a flight case containing his decorating kit, and when he checks into hotels, he drapes the walls with silver foil detunes the TV to white noise and applies coloured lighting gels to the screen, thereby creating a space-aged alternative lamp. Our old tour manager used to tour the Durannies and told me it was hard to keep Warren dressed and he often wandered around the hotels half-naked. Proper rock and roll. Friday, 21st of August. Stanbridge Farm, near Brighton, to Bern, Switzerland. Woken by Bob at seven, showered, got up, drank coffee and ate melon before piling into a minibus to Gatwick Airport. We joined Paul Lewis and the crew, checked in and boarded the plane to Bern, Switzerland. Tried to update this diary and suffered temporary setback when my pen exploded. See opposite page. Found non-exploding backup pen and continued. Except that I didn't. And we're back. And you know what I'm going to say to you? Um, What's that, Ant? What are you going to say? I'm going to say uh, that not two or three episodes ago, we had the situation with a girl driving past the tour bus in the US who, who went from various stages of dressed to completely undressed. And you said, and I quote, that's the only time anything like that has ever happened to me. As rock and roll as it sounds, that doesn't normally happen. Okay, fast forward two or three weeks, and we've now got girls from um, the, the, the Star newspaper, yeah. and we've and we've got various bits of anatomy on show yeah. again. Yeah, no, that was unusual. <laughs> mm. Mm. <laughs> it it this kind of thing seem, does seem to follow you around. <laughs> Followed around by what kind of thing? Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a family show. That's a title for the autobiography, if ever there was one. Yes. <laughs> um, no, no, I think that was only. I think that was only the second time. Um, those Daily Star girls. That wasn't the Daily Star, was it? It was the Daily Star. Yeah. I don't know. We went through a phase where they seemed to be around, not because they were fans of the band, but I, I think we had a promoter or something who was part of that Richard Desmond. Was it Richard Desmond, the guy who owned those newspapers? You know, those dodgy tabloids. Mm. I'm, I remember being at Shepherds of Empire as well and one of those girls was there and we were talking and... I mean, it was really all you could do to stop her getting her breasts out all the time. She, You know, she'd have a, like, a little skimpy top on and she'd just keep pulling it down. Just, you know, mid-conversation. Um, Did she think she was on the corkscrew at Alton Towers? I don't know what she thought she was doing, but but maybe she just thought that's what you did when you talked to rock singers. Um, and, uh, yeah, there we are. Um, but as for the, you know, the actual contents of the knickers um that that is a rarer occurrence right um i was once handed a bro did i tell the story about the warm the warm grubby bra in wolverhampton Ooh, warm Ooh. and grubby Ooh, Ooh, great yeah. 
Did no, I tell you that story? I was, I, was, I, was at the, I was at the mixing desk before we went on stage because um, I think Privet was mixing... Was he mixing the opening act or something? But I'd gone, I'd gone out to talk to Privet, the sound engineer, and this guy came up to me um, with starey eyes and, you know, um, looked quite like the kind of person that I used to run into regularly and Doncaster used to punch me for no reason. And um, he came up to me and said, uh, can I talk to you? And I went, well, yes, yes, of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He said, "I love my wife." I said, "Well, oh, well, that's that's lovely," and and she loves me. I went, "That's fantastic." He said, "But she loves you even more." And ah, I'm sure. No, I, I'm sure that can't be true. Yes, it is. Oh, here we go. <laughs> and uh, I was waiting for him to punch me or stab me or something. When, when from behind his back, he produced. This bra, which was just dangling between his forefinger and thumb, and said, "She'd like you to have this." And I'm thinking, "Oh shit, what's going to offend him more? Me, 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 politely refusing it, or me taking it? You know, whatever I do, it's going to be the wrong thing." So I sort of gingerly took it off in between my forefinger and thumb, and said, "Well, well thank you very much. Um, thank you." Thank you. You know, waiting to see what he was going to do next. Anyway, that seemed to be the right response. Right. And off he went. Um, I think I gave it a priv. I said, you should probably have this priv. I think you did really well because it would be so easy to misjudge that situation. Well, it was only luck. It wasn't judgment, you know, because I thought this is going to go one way or the other. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of things in Wolverhampton tend to. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Especially, especially after about eight at night. Um, so yes, that was that. that but but it, that kind of rock and roll stuff doesn't happen to us very often. Okay, it he really does for the second time. Let's wait and see what the diary brings over the course of the next few weeks. And then the only the thing I'm going to finish with for this week um, is the exploding pen. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't, again, I don't really remember that. That pen obviously exploded. Um, I used to like to write a diary. In fact, I've got the pen that I used to write. I'm going to wave it at you now. Uh, this is a this is a Parker pen. It's lovely, actually. It's, it is, uh, yeah. If you can it's see very, it's very nice. Yes, yes. Um, nice. But I used to write the diary with that, and I used to have um, like a blood red ink in it. Um just for a touch of Lord Byron. Oh, how beautifully bohemian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought it should be blood red. Yes. Um, Must have got all over your big cuffs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and me rough. And you're rough. <laughs> <laughs> so I used to I used to write in... Um, in fact, I've got the ink. I'm still with the ink here. I mean, God knows how old that is now. There's there's the blood red ink. Yes, hard to, probably hard to see on the. On oh no, it's, no, actually that is that's got that's definitely got a, you know, a yeah. plasma kind of hue about it. Looks like a, a sample. <laughs> a donation. <laughs> looks, like a, looks like a sample in some form of clog. <laughs> it's, or not my, it's not my own blood. No, I hasten to add, it's obviously the blood of Latvian virgins. You know, um, so. There we are, and it, it did explode all over the bloody place. And it's moment. a nice touch that it that it made it way its way onto the pages of the diary. Because I've I've often wondered why there was bits on those pages. I thought I'd done it. Do you know? I didn't even know why that was there. I just thought no. it was a nice little touch from the publisher just for the crack. Yeah. Um, and I've only just realised that. There we are. Mm. You learn something new pretty much every day. You do. You do. Never let it be said all that TCD well. is not informative. It's not accurate, but it's certainly informative. Not certainly not accurate, but there are things to learn. Um, so that about does us for 29, uh, and we think we might try a couple of special things for 30, don't we? We've got a few ideas floating around. Yes, we, we thought we might try and make uh, TCD episode 30 a bit of a, you know, an event. Yes. Which we should, because it's... It's quite something, isn't it? No, oh, it's an absolute milestone. We've been in and out of lockdown twice since, uh, you know, since we started this thing. 
Yes, we're back. We're back in now, aren't we? And yeah, a lot of people had said that they'd really enjoyed all this nonsense that you and I are putting out. Um, you know, during the lockdown, it had helped to get them, get them through and put them in another surreal place. Mm. Um, I'm just looking at this book to see if I've got a picture. I've got a picture somewhere of which is not in the diaries of of me. Um, in the Iron Lung, in the Riga Bay oh. Hotel. Oh. Maybe we... May, I'll post that to Instagram. Yes, that ought to go to Insta. Um, um, do, do it through the week before the episode goes live, and then, like last week, everybody saw your lampshade, had no bloody idea what you were banging on about. This is the lampshade. Yeah, exactly. This is the lampshade. <laughs> and then it made sense on Friday to Sunday, right. today, today to the rest. This is the, this is the Cosmonauts Iron Lung, I will say. Yeah. Yes, indeed, and everybody will go, what the bloody hell is he on this week? Yeah, cool. Right, in which case, uh, we'll regroup for that next week. I'm looking forward to it already. We, we've also said we might even do it of an evening and have a little tipple at the same time. Yes, number 30. Yes, we should. Yes. Let's do it Let's do it in the evening over a bottle of bubbly and, um, and, and get a festive vibration going. It's a date. Maybe it's we should date. have the bottle of bubbly before we start so that we're just we two giggling fools. A little loosener. From, little the, loosener. from the moment it starts. Yeah. They'd expect that of us. No, they expect no less. Right, you have a good week and I'll uh, I'll catch up with you then. then. Yes, thank you, Ant. You have a lovely week yourself. Yes. Thank you. Hmm. This is the shortest Chromecast I've done so far. Thank you very much, Mark Hardy and Adam Lear, but not least, someone who calls themselves most definitely Mrs. Helen Vaught Coast. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.